You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Welcome to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What can I do for you? So um, I have a quick question for you. Yeah. Um, so for non-trads with limited time, how do medical schools view those limited extracurriculars we get, particularly when it comes to clinical experience? Yeah, so it's it's always that tricky predicament. Uh, a few episodes ago, I had a, a stay-at-home mom who's like, I'm not doing anything except being a mom, and how's that going to look? So at, at the end of the day, remember that the goal of this whole process is to prove to yourself why you want to be a physician and then translate that for medical schools to, to show them why you want to be a physician. And so a lot of students take this whole like check uh, checkbox kind of thought process and go, well, I, I need to check all the boxes for the medical schools. But in reality, it's all for you. And so my question would be, if you aren't doing a lot, if you're worried about what you're doing, how are you proving to yourself that this is what you want? Or is it just some like dream that you had since you were a kid? Let's, let's check in there first. Definitely. Yeah. Um, after I had my daughter, that's, I kind of, uh, I had some experiences with my physicians in the hospitals and, uh, that, that was kind of my seed for wanting to be a doctor. And then I've shadowed since then, but as far as getting more clinical experience and shadowing, I haven't had any luck because with my limited daycare schedule, I just, I don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's going to be an issue, right? So you can't, you can't apply to medical school and say, I want to be a physician. I haven't really done anything, but it's okay. I'm a mom. I don't have time. Right. Because it's, again, it's not for them. This process is for you. Why do you want to be a physician? Having a good experience or, or in some cases a bad experience with physicians wants to propel people to be physicians. But a lot of times when you go and get that follow-up exposure and experience, you go, oh, wait, no, this isn't what I thought it was. And then you go off and, and do something else. You're holding on to this idea of, I want to be a physician from a very limited exposure. And so I super, super, super encourage you to, to force yourself to, to utilize every resource in the book to be able to go out and get some more exposure. It doesn't mean you need to go get a 40-hour-a-week job in a clinical environment it means you need a few hours every couple of weeks to just start exposing yourself more and more and more to this world so that it's not just, I had my daughter and it was a good or bad experience with the doctors, therefore I want to be a doctor. And that was like four years ago and you haven't really done anything since. Definitely. Um, right now I'm actually, I'm volunteering at a clinic, but they're not letting us be anywhere near patients, obviously because COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, I living in Wyoming, it's very, very rural here. Um, mm -hmm. so there's not a whole lot to do. And then the hospital wants very specific shifts that I haven't been able to work in. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, especially being a mom, especially during COVID, especially being in a rural environment where there isn't a hospital on every corner. And so at, at some point you have to, 
you have to just make some changes in your life to, to potentially figure out how to do it. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't get into medical school with very limited experience, uh, and and maybe a, a an admissions committee will understand those circumstances and go, you know what, I think I think you've shown enough in these other places that we're willing to give you a chance. But a- again, from an admissions standpoint, I worry less about it's you and your future life is all predicated on a very, very, very small sample set. Absolutely. Right. And, and I fear that you're going to get into medical school, get into residency and go, what the heck was I thinking? Right. I was all, I was all hopped up on drugs, having my daughter. And I thought that was amazing. And medicine is nowhere near what I remember it being. Right. And that's, that's where I, I will always harp on. You need clinical experience for you, not for the medical schools. Absolutely. Um, what do you think about ski patrol? medical yeah so ski ski patrol is like a um a kind of a branch off of emergency medical services (laughs) i think that it's cool it's different you're interacting with people who try try who think they're better skiers and snowboarders than they are and and fall and hurt themselves and do do things like that i i think it's good experience um it's it's not like the most clinical of clinical experiences but it's it's an ems type experience that i think uh, would be cool. I would challenge you to to go seek out, uh, especially being in more of a rural environment. Go seek out the smaller, uh, the the smaller family practice clinics, and and see if you can volunteer as like a volunteer medical assistant or something like that, where they're not going to have the rules in place like a hospital is uh, around COVID. Right? They're still seeing patients in in the clinic. And they may be more flexible with having someone come in wearing a mask and all the other proper precautions so that you can get some experiences that you may need. And they be more they may be more flexible um, around what you need. Okay. Yeah. Have you explored any of that or no? Um, I've talked to a couple of clinics around here. Um, so far they're um they're not letting people in. They're okay. not letting students in. So I live in a university town. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of students asking. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've asked around and I think something like 80% of the clinics here. <laughs> okay. Um, the last clinic is just a nurse practitioner clinic. So I haven't asked there. Okay. I I think that would be perfectly fine to ask in a, an NP clinic, right? You're not shadowing the NP, you're interacting with patients. That's the goal of, of what you need to do. It sounds like you had mentioned that you're doing a little bit of shadowing here and there. Is that, did I miss, yeah, mishear that? So I, um, I've shadowed at least once every six months for okay. the past years. Um, yeah, I've, I've at least been able to find that. So. Good. Okay. So that's, that's a somewhat consistent uh, shadowing experience. So that's good. It's, it's really that clinical experience. So think of some other non-traditional things, potentially doing hospice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do that in people's homes. Uh, obviously hospice, people are, are still dying from COVID uh, or other other things as well. So people are still dying. People still need that companionship. People still need uh, people to come into their homes. And 
And honestly, if they're in hospice, they're maybe a little bit less worried about COVID. They're like, well, I'm I'm dying anyway. Obviously, we we don't want them to get COVID and and die sooner. But but maybe there's a potential uh, change in risk tolerance there to where they're allowing people into homes and and be able to get those experiences. So look at that. And then outside of that, especially right now during COVID times, things like uh, crisis hotlines, text hotlines, kinds of, uh, kinds of things that probably historically isn't considered clinical experience, but right now when it's really the only thing possible that tr- maybe look at that as well. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I worked as a pharmacy tech for a little bit at the free clinic care, but I know that's not clinical. <laughs> yeah, I, I, a lot of students put it as clinical experience. I'm not a fan of putting it as clinical experience, but um, you're interacting, especially when you're at the clinic and not in a retail setting. Um, that's a little bit different as well. Are there other free clinics where you could potentially get some experience? I volunteer at both of the free clinics in town. Um, I am not getting patient hours with either clinic. Um, the one that I work as a pharmacy tech because that's what they needed whenever yeah. I started. And then I'm working, um, it's a reproductive clinic. So I just work with like passing out condom bags and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Why not get clinical experience there? What, who, who do you need to, to bribe to get some clinical experience? I think I just need to be there for a little bit longer. Okay. Yeah. So st- I would start asking those questions. Uh, I, I'm assuming they know you want to go to medical school. Yes. I, I mentioned it whenever I was interviewing. Yeah. So I would, I would bring it up again. How long have you been there? Uh, three months. Okay. So not a terribly long time. I would bring it up again and say, Hey, like, give me more. I want more. I want to interact with patients. Right. And, yeah. and you already have your foot in the door there. You're already in, they're already letting you in even during COVID. So that, that potentially helps you a bunch. Yeah, they're, um, I know they talked about letting me do some phone uh, patient background information. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if that counted as clinical, though. Right now? Sure. Why not? <laughs> you're you're interacting with them. You're asking them questions. I, I, I think uh, right now it's about as good as it gets. And then hopefully that is a stepping stone to even more at that clinic. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What else? Um. Well, I'm studying for the MCAT right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I I know I've heard of all this like yield protection, all this kind of stuff. I have a 4.0 GPA, but yep. I'm not doing super great on MCAT stuff. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, I just think it's time. Uh, I'm going to have a good two months to study for it. Just study for the MCAT without studying for other things. Okay. So I think that'll be nice, but... Yep. Right now, I've just I just started a few months ago, and I, well, two months ago, and I haven't been able to just focus on that because I was taking two summer courses, and now I'm in courses again, and then with daycare being up in arms and <laughs> because yeah. of COVID and all, so yeah, I've been going super great for MCAT. So I was just wondering, like, with a GPA like mine, I know I probably can't just like shoot for a 505 and be cool with that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, obviously, you want as high as an MCAT as possible, um, but you have to, to balance that with you need to also apply. So it's not like you can study for 10 years and finally get that 528. Um, I, I think 
You just need to continue. You still have a lot of time ahead of you. When are you going to take it? I'm assuming kind of beginning of the year since we're January. Yeah, we're later on. Um, uh, you still have a lot of time to study scores uh, as you learn more, as you understand the MCAT a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Scores will start to to go up. Is is the hope? And obviously having proven yourself already as a good student, at least from a GPA perspective, you have some innate ability to study and do well on tests. Now it just needs to translate to the MCAT specifically. So uh, continue working on it. I think you're you're way too early to start asking some potential questions about what if, what if, what if. You, you have a lot of room to go up on the MCAT in terms of timing. Now, going back to kind of the 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 yield question where were you going with that um i think i was really just i think i saw that in context i was i'd never gone to those websites like <laughs> and Reddit. they scare me a little bit <laughs> don't don't say their names <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah the i i know i've seen some people on there that they have a high gpa and then they get a low mcat score and just they don't have any success to that. And I think I saw somebody say yield protection for that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. The yield protection language that I typically hear is students who have really high scores that uh, a kind of a lower, and I hate this language, a quote unquote lower tier school that they apply to as a quote-unquote safety school, that that school, even by stats, if that student is very competitive, the school won't give that student the time of day because they're protecting their yield. They want to only use interview spots on students who they think have a high chance of coming to that school. And they can sense potentially when a student is using that school as a quote-unquote safety school, and they'll go, yeah, they look good on paper, but it's not a, it's not the fit for our school. And so that typically is the language that I hear around yield protection. It's from the schools passing over really high-quality candidates because they're just not good fits for the school and because they don't think they're actually going to go to that school. I, I had just as a, a more concrete example, there was a student – a couple years ago that I chatted with who was a Texas resident applied to Texas schools, had a very good MCAT score, very good GPA, uh, had a few interviews in state, applied to some out of state through AMCAS and didn't get any interviews. And I said, well, you don't know if you weren't competitive. There's a very good chance those schools saw that you were a Texas applicant and assumed that you were just going to stay in Texas because you were good enough to get into some Texas schools, and they just didn't want to waste an interview spot on you. So mm-hmm. there's there's lots of reasons why a student gets an interview, doesn't get an interview, gets an acceptance, doesn't get an acceptance. And that's where the, the biggest thing that I challenge students on is don't just look at, oh, there are other students with a 4.0 with a low MCAT who didn't get in. Therefore, if I have a 4.0 and a low MCAT, I'm not going to get in because there's so much more to an application than that. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So where you're at, um, what are next steps for you? MCAT? Um... I'm working on a personal statement. 
Okay. Well, I hate writing about myself particularly, so that's Well, I'll, I'll tell you that you're probably having a hard time writing a personal statement because you don't have clinical experience or a lot yeah, of it. I was, um, I was able to write about the clinical experiences that I've had through shadowing, and I've, I've had some meaningful pace, patient interactions there. I got so that, I'll, I'll stop you. So shadowing, sh- shadowing, in my mind, every time I see shadowing in a personal statement, it's usually the weakest story in a personal statement. Because shadowing is so passive that it's really not that impactful to go, oh, my God, that was amazing. I need to be a physician. Because usually what happens is I saw the doctor do this. I saw the doctor do that. The doctor did this. The doctor did that. The doctor treated the patient. Oh, my God, it was amazing. It's all about the doctor. And you're like, I want to be a physician because of that doctor. That's what shadowing typically leads to when you're writing about it in a personal statement. And so – I, I challenge you to not write about shadowing in a personal statement, which will leave you probably with nothing else to write about, <laughs> which, which brings me back to where I was going. It's too early to write your personal statement. So I would stop worrying about writing your personal statement. Anyway, for anybody, I typically don't start, I, I don't recommend starting to write it until January of the year you're applying anyway. Okay. That, that'd be a little easier. Maybe One less thing on you. <laughs> I, um, I do feel like, the one shadowing experience I had, um, I'm not actually in my personal sp- statement when I talk about it, I'm not actually talking about the physician. Um, it was actually a very specific interaction I had with, with a patient. So I think that's, I wasn't actually going to put anything from shadowing in there, but that one interaction, I just, I felt really compelled to put it in. Okay. And, and maybe it was a little bit of a, a shadowing plus experience and not just the, the super <laughs> passive shadowing, which is, which is fine. Yes, it was it was definitely different from my other shadowing experiences there. <laughs> okay. Cool. Anything else? Um I think that was everything. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on and asking your questions and hopefully I was able to help you and give you a little bit more clarity on on next steps for you. Yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. If you're interested in hearing from different medical specialists, go check out specialtystories.com. 